Thank you, Paul. Be very careful as you step down there, Paul. Okay. <laughs> great. Um, it's great to be with you. It always feels like being with family. And uh, Pam sends a love as well. She always loves coming over as well. So she sends her greetings. And uh, you're never far from our thoughts. We pray for you every day. And uh, many of you here, we pray for by name each day. So I'm going to speak a little moment about prayer. But I just want to particularly, the title I, I put for today is Breaking Through in Prayer. And I, I sense already, in fact, when you said that breakthrough is a word that God's been prophetically speaking to you over recent weeks. So I, I feel almost as if it's like John the Baptist preparing the ground for something really special. So I do feel a sense of expectancy today where God in a number of your lives is wanting to bring breakthrough. Maybe in your personal life, maybe in your family life, maybe in your finances, maybe in your health, maybe in relationships, maybe in church life. But God longs to bring breakthrough. And particularly in the area of prayer. I think sometimes in prayer we, we earnestly pray into a situation we haven't seen the answer. Before long we begin to get disappointed and before long we get disillusioned and then we give up on praying. And we haven't seen that breakthrough. What does it mean to see a real breakthrough in situations? For many of you here today, there'll be situations in your life currently which seem as if you've got to an impasse. You, you, you just need to sense God breakthrough in that. You know, sometimes when you're trying to open a door and it feels stiff and you turn it, wonder if it's locked, and then you, you push it a little more and you, still, and you push it again and, still, and eventually you put a shoulder to it and boom, and it, it suddenly breaks open. And it's that kind of breakthrough. And there's something about prayer that needs that sort of persistence. Jesus, when he spoke about prayer, Jesus himself telling the story of a widow coming at night. And it was her persistence because she kept coming. She kept pushing on the door. And sometimes in prayer, we need to learn where it is to persevere, to break through in prayer. So there can be some situations. My prayer today is that there'll be situations of breakthrough here. Situations that you felt in your life you may have even almost given up on. You may even have felt it's too late now, Rob. It's never too late with God. Somehow to sense that breakthrough. So that's our kind of theme for today is breakthrough in prayer. But... Uh, I feel called to a life of prayer, and often the challenge is about speaking about prayer. You can just end up feeling, people feeling more guilty, you know, because we all feel we ought to pray more. And we read books about it and stories about it, but, but I want to be really practical today. I want to give you some really helpful steps, some helpful guides as to how to really be able to put into practice what we're talking. So it's not just something over the horizon, if only we could do it. What does it mean today to find breakthrough in prayer in our lives? So we're going to take a series of scriptures through. The Bible has so much to say about prayer, and particularly if you go through the New Testament, we could take a, a number of scriptures to help give us different insights. So first one is about perseverance in prayer. Why do we give up so easily when we've got discouraged? But Rob, when you've not just prayed for weeks, you may have prayed for months for something in your life, and something's not happened. You just wonder if it's ever going to happen. You don't want to keep feeling frustrated. You want to feel so it's better not to pray any longer, is it? Or can there be that kind of breakthrough in prayer that releases God's purpose? So here's our first scripture, and hopefully it will come up on the screen from Colossians. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What does that mean, to not stop praying? Right from that very first day, he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Father, we pray now that you would come by your Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, here today, Lord, whatever our current experience has been with regard to prayer, some perhaps feeling disappointed, some disillusioned, some just learning to pray, some feeling we've come to a glass ceiling or to a blockage and we don't know how to pray. Lord, today, give that breakthrough in prayer, we pray. Help us to understand now where it is to, to not stop praying in Jesus' name. Amen.
from that first day until now, we've not stopped praying. Now, well, the great challenge for many of us is how do we keep that perseverance, that persistence in prayer? How even do you keep remembering in prayer? In all Paul's letters, one of the opening things is that he says, in all my remembrance, you always remember in prayer. Well, how do you, if you've not got a very good memory, how do you remember? How do you keep on praying? You sometimes meet somebody, they share with you a really difficult situation. I'll pray for you, and you do pray from that day, but how do you keep on praying? How do you persist in prayer? So I'm going to give you your first little bit of homework today. Here's a little practical guide. And it's all you've got to do is you just take a... At the beginning of this year, in fact, we had a week of prayer and fasting. And um, we were trying to give a lot of folk who were just for their first time in their lives, really, their new Christians, understanding about prayer. For some folk, the first time they'd ever done anything in way of fasting. But how do you, how do you encourage some of those practicalities of prayer? I mean, for some folk, uh, once you pray, God bless mum, dad, the goldfish, and the next door neighbor, what do you pray for next? How, do you, how would you pray for an hour? What would you keep praying for? And how, how, how do you pray? So what we did is gave a little guideline as to how to just encourage that rate. So all you've got to do is take an A4 page, a bit better than this one. This is a bit of a tatty one, but A4 page, that's that size. And uh, um, when you go home today, I'm going to encourage every one of you, just do it for this week, okay? This week, at the end of the week, you can stop doing it if you like, but just as a little test, Paul or Adam, I'm sure, will ask you how your homework went next Sunday, okay? So here it goes. You take an A4 page, you fold it into four. I'm not going to make a paper airplane. I'm just folding into four, okay? And on the first quarter, you're just going to put down one name, one situation. But what you're going to commit to is this week, every day of the week, you're going to pray for that person or that situation. Is that okay? I'm just saying just put one on there. You may have more than that. And as I say, as some of you here, I pray for every day and have done so for a long time. Just one, just one person. Now, the very exercise of thinking, what would be the most important thing at the moment for me to pray for every day, okay? Next one is you turn to the next quarter. And on this one, you're going to put the days of the week. That's Sunday today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And on each one of those, you're going to, again, put one name, one situation. That particularly at the moment is on your heart that you're going to pray for. And on Monday, you'll pray for that one. On Tuesday, you'll pray for that one, etc. And then for the other half of the page, so I say in quarters, it's not four things, it's three things, okay, because this one is a half page. On this one, you're going to put number one, two, three, up to 28 or even 31, otherwise some months you may not miss a day, but those are the days of the week, okay? So today is the 14th, so on the 14th, you'll put somebody you'll pray for on the 14th, on the 15th, the 16th, it's the 15th today, sorry, yes, yesterday was 14th, yeah, yeah, memory, memory. <laughs> Okay, 50 today, on the 50, you put that day, halfway down, okay? And um, now you may say, Rob, goodness me. You know, I mean, that's, I need, that's need 40 people or 40 situations. Are you going to pray for those every day? No, every day you're going to pray for them. You're only going to pray for three people every day. You can do that when you're cleaning your teeth or doing it with you, you know, just three people. But by the end of the month, you'll have prayed for 40 people, and you pray consistently for them. But it's that consistency then. So the very exercise, if you were to do this today, let me assure you, if you do this, I, I did that as a little pull-out thing, beginning of this year, with a, oh, a few hundred people, as it were. Hundreds of people, I found, said to me this year, Rob, it's changed my prayer life. Some folk have been Christian for years, said, I've always meant to pray regularly, but, you know, I, I never remember to, or I think I just, you know, who can I think of today, as it were? What would it mean just consistently not to stop praying in all my remembrance of you to be able to do that? So here's a little illustration for me. So this was a, um, uh, well, I've got a few illustrations here, but uh, we've encouraged folks, maybe you're going to pray for somebody in your family, maybe someone from work, or one of your neighbors. 
So many years ago now, we encouraged, as part of an exercise, right the way across what used to be called Avon. That was Bristol used to be part of a bigger area of Avon, which Western was part of it. So we were encouraging across Avon for folk to pray for their neighbours. We wanted to encourage them. Some folks said, Robert, I don't even know my name of my neighbours. How can I pray for them? So I said, what we'll do is we'll provide you with the electoral list for your road. And so we got the whole electoral list, just under a million people, okay? And our commitment was to see, and we did it literally for hundreds of thousands of people, whereby they would be praying regularly for their neighbors. Now, I was a bit greedy with mine, so, um, because the electoral list just gives you the names of the people on your side of the road. If you're number two, then number four, number six, number eight. But we also want to pray for people across the road. That was number one, number three, etc. So I got two pages. But also on the back of our road, there were some neighbors we've really been praying regularly for. So I end up with three sheets. Now, this is my electoral list. For those who are close enough, you won't be able to see, particularly if you're older with poor eyesight. So, Paul, you won't be able to see this. But, but, any, but, 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 so I, I then mark it off. So, it's in red there. That's Monday, that's Tuesday, and the next sheet is on Wednesday, Thursday. And so, every day of the week, I pray for some of my neighbors. Now, this electoral sheet, the date on the top of it when we gave them out is November 1994. So that's 24 years of my life. Every day I pray for my... And I've got some neighbors from hell, I tell you. <laughs> I have. But you know, over those 24 years, I've seen eight of my neighbors come to faith in Jesus. And some of them, even one of them, one of those neighbors from hell, who I had really several years of real hassle with, but then he went through a real health scare with cancer and was fearful of dying. And it was, he came to me at that stage, and over those following weeks after when he died, I had an amazing opportunity to pray with him and see him come to faith in Jesus. What does it mean to persist in prayer, even when it's a bit hard going? The neighbor you're praying for is not really your faith, best friend, you know, kind of thing. How do we persist in prayer? How do we, every day, now, this is small enough for you to keep in your pocket, in your handbag, anywhere else. Some folk, like Paul's already might have done there, some folk have even put it on their little iPhone, on their iPhone, on their, you know, just do it literally there, days of the week, etc. So here I am, it's a Friday afternoon. It's Friday the 13th, it's some months ago now. And uh, what, what I would do is, even if I've prayed for folk in the morning, I've usually got my sheet, so if ever I'm waiting on a bus stop or anything, I never waste a time, so my tire on my front tire on a car was really low. And uh, so I, I went down uh, Southmead Road in, in, in Bristol where they got a tire place and in I go to get the tire mended and there's a little, I don't know if you call it a waiting room, there's a few chairs where you could sit while your tire was getting. So here I am sat in the corner and out comes my sheet. And in fact, it's a rather tatty looking sheet and here I am in the corner praying through my sheet, right? My people for that day. When another fella comes in, he had a bit of a smarter car. He had a BMW car beside my Fiesta. And so, anyway, the, the engineer comes in and says to this person, oh, sorry, sir, we've checked your tires. It's really bad, he said. Good job you came in today, he said, because if you've gone another 10 miles on that, it was right down to the way it would have popped. And he sat in the court. He says, oh, God, he says, oh, God, he says, I was about to go and pick the children up from school. Imagine if I'd done that, he said. Good job you come in, the engineer said, and off he went to do it. And he sits back down. He's just literally just two seats away from me in the corner there, and I'm sat my little prayer time here goes through my sheet. Suddenly, Bert's had again. Hold his, oh, God, he said, it's Friday. It's Friday the 13th, he said. Now, for those of you who think of bad luck or good luck, Friday the 13th is not the best day to have. He said, what's going to happen to me before the end of today? He said, is that happened to my tire? He said, before midnight tonight, what's going to happen to me? I'm the only other person in the, in the room. <laughs> in the little room. Then he looked across and he says, what's that you're reading? I mean, it looked interesting. It was a kind of tatty sheet, you see. <laughs> I said to him, do you really want to know? That only whet his appetite more. Yeah, he said. 
So I went over and sat on the chair beside him with my little prayer sheet. See, I said to him, my little fold prayer sheet. I said, actually, it's a list of people, he said. I can see that, he said. Who are they, he said, like a shopping list. I said, no, they're, they're people I pray for every day. He says, you pray for people every day, I said. Why did you do that, he said. Well, because I believe God has a plan and purpose for people's lives, I said. And so I pray for them. And after I pray, I pray for God's protection of them, God's provision for them. I pray today for God's unfolded purpose in their life, I said. And, do you know, even for you, though, you think Friday the 13th, God's got a plan for your life. Well, he says, I never ever go to church. He says, I did listen to Thought for the Day once and thought I'd to go to church. But I've never been to church, he said. I said, you may not even think about God, but he thinks about you. And there might be even some people who are praying for you, I said. Because God's got a purpose for your life. Anyway, by the end of the day, I give him his Alpha invitation to the next Alpha course. And an amazing conversation with him. But it just came out of me sat there in my little prayer sheet praying. You know. What does it mean for prayer to be part of the rhythm of our lives? How do we build into our lives that sense of where we just don't stop praying? It's a way of life. The second of our verses helps us to understand even when we're putting our names on our sheet. What should motivate us? It's about compassion in prayer. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The eyes of your heart opened. What does it mean not just you take your A4 sheet today, I trust all of you when you get home. It can be the back, something printed on the back, just a plain A4 sheet on one side is all you need. And is it a question of just think of a name? Oh, yeah. Or is it, God, who are you opening the eyes of my heart for today? Who are you putting on my heart? Or is it sense God stirring us in prayer? So by the time I've got through that list, that's nearly 40 people that I fear are on God's heart that he's opened the eyes of my heart for. How do we sense that compassion in prayer? Sometimes we see situations need around us beyond just my own family, my own neighbors, my own job. What a wider world. One of the great challenges of our 20th century life is that we see tragedies every day in the news and we get what we call compassion fatigue you know you you no longer feel moved because you sat in your armchair what can you do about it just recently there was quite a stirring of some last year when there was that uh, on the news that little boy body found on the shores of the Mediterranean one of those who tried to cross it as a refugee and there was a, a social media circulation of millions of people that were concerned of it I remember 40 years ago this year another tragedy even greater than the Mediterranean tragedy of refugees. In fact, far more people. It was known as the Vietnamese boat people. The Vietnamese war had happened. It displaced thousands, hundreds, thousands, two, over two million people. There wasn't social media or global news in those days. There were literally thousands who lost their lives on flimsy vessels, this time on the China Sea, not just the Mediterranean washed up on shores that no one ever photographed or saw. And eventually the BBC World Service did a, a breaking news. And I remember it was a tea time, uh, about six o'clock one Sunday, uh, one, one midweek evening, we're watching the tea. It tells you how long ago, 40 years ago. So our children who are now, uh, uh, we're grandparents now, so um, not that old as Paul would say, but you know, just, just grandparents. But, uh, um, and, uh, but we were all sat watching the tea, watching the news, our two children. And as we're watching it, here were these uh, really stirring stories and pictures of these families and children, many who'd lost already their parents in the Vietnamese War, and now they're trying to escape, and literally thousands who died at sea. And they're starving and hungry. 
So our children, this is the wonderful thing where God often teaches us through our children, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. We as older people get streetwise, familiar with all. But as they sit, they say, Dad, we've got to do something about that. I said, it's a long way away. What, what, wait. I think it was fish fingers and chips. And we had. Dad, we'll give them some of our food. I said, but it's a long way to send it to Vietnam. It's a long way away. It'll get stale by the time it gets there. Okay, they said. And they said about children sometimes where they don't take no for an answer. There's some and a sense of, uh, uh, of hope and wanting to see something happen. So they say, Dad, why don't we invite them to us for tea? You know, again, it'd be a long way to come. And not just a long way to come, but anyway, the government would have to agree for them to come in. And the prime minister would have to agree for them to be able to run. And in those days, we had a prime minister with a big hand mag who was quite assertive about things as well. And, and so this is their last thing now. Tea's finished now. And we're another Dad, why don't we pray that the prime minister will change your mind and have some of these folk come in? Dad, why don't you write to the prime minister? And ask her if they can come to see us in our house and have tea with us. Well, it was bedtime now. And so off they're going to bed and we thought that was the end of the story. But sometimes in a child, you know, there can be a... Where God stirs something in their hearts, they don't let go of. So it was prayer time, now bedtime. And we had different ways we would encourage the children in prayer every night. Just simply sometimes just three things we would do. Something to say sorry for, something to say thank you for, something to say please for. The list of please was usually quite a long one. The list of thank you is a bit shorter. The list of sorries we had to try and squeeze out sometimes, you know, you know what, what might be. But this night, boy, did they get off. Straight off with the sorry. Oh, God, we're sorry for all those children, all those sad things, and they got nothing to eat. And we're so sorry the prime minister won't. Thank you, God, for our food and for our home. And, oh, God, please help Dad tonight as he writes to the prime minister. <laughs> amen. I'm saying prayers with them. Do I say Amen. Well, I did, but thought, this is it now. <laughs> Dad, they said, we'll post it on the way to school tomorrow. <laughs> well, I hadn't written to the Prime Minister before, and I'm sure. So, dear Prime Minister, you know, and so I write the letter. We've been watching the news, and our children were really moved by the story of the Vietnamese boat people, and uh, we, we'd love to feel there's any way we could help if anyone would come to this country. So we're writing just to let you know our concern. Yours sincerely, etc., etc. On the envelope, 10 Downing Street, Prime Minister, the children, as they woke up in the morning, first thing they asked, where's the letter, Dad? They posted it, and so they posted it on the way to school. We thought this was the end of it now, but no. Every night, every night without exception, they prayed. Praying for the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister gets the letter, the Prime Minister would change her mind and be able to see these children come in. A week goes by, two weeks go by, a month go by, two months go by. They're still praying every night for these Vietnamese. There's something about persistence in prayer in which are, but we're, we're, we're sort of just observing all this and thinking, you know, when, when, when will they come to term? Because we know we're not even likely to hear. But after two months, a letter came from 10 Downing Street. Dear Mr. Scott Cook, Thank you for your letter and your concern for the Vietnamese people. We have noted that concern and appreciate your interest, etc. But I'm afraid there are no plans. The UK government has no plans to be able to take any of the Vietnamese boat people. And the Prime Minister has no plans to be able to take any of the refugees. But thank you for your concern. Well, we obviously were disappointed. The children were desperately disappointed, but they didn't give up. There's something about that persistence sometimes in a child. So when we pray that night, what they're now praying even stronger is for somehow for the Prime Minister, God to move the Prime Minister's heart, that she'll change her mind and be able to take them in. Now, 
We're going for a few more weeks now. Another month, three months go by and they're still praying. By now, we, we try and encourage them just to come, you know, lots of other things to pray about, lots of other things, but no, but there's that persistence in prayer. Somehow God had put a seed into their hearts. Three months later, a letter comes to us, this time from the Foreign Office. Dear Mr. Scott Cook, the Prime Minister has just visited Hong Kong and has just agreed with the Hong Kong government to receive into the UK the first of the Vietnamese boat people. As yours is the only letter we've had concerning this issue, and we need to find local groups that will receive them. We're just wondering whether you in Bristol would be willing to take the first coach load. Of the... Our children, they're whooping and jeering, etc. We think, oh, and they look at us, but Dad, why are you so surprised? Don't, doesn't God answer prayer? Isn't that what it's all about, Dad? And, and we're humbly eating humble pie. Thinking, well, yeah, but you know, this is really challenging, and we knew it would be really difficult. To think that, you know, here was the Prime Minister who'd just been to Hong Kong, just changed her mind. I can still remember when he first received them, the first of those Vietnamese people. The first ones in the UK came to Bristol. In fact, it became such a significant event in Bristol. We set up what was known as, it wasn't then Bristol, it was under Avon. It was the Avon Vietnamese Refugee Resettlement Group. We started and we brought them, those first Vietnamese, and we settled them in the city. And the children saved at their pocket money as they first arrived with little black bags, just a few belongings, and helping them, etc. But it became a significant thing in the city. God had been stirring in us already a prophetic word about Bristol and Avon, that surrounding region, that it would be a city of refuge. You know, in the Old Testament, God named cities as cities of refuge. Three of them on one side of the Jordan. We felt this became a word for us that Bristol would be increasing a city. And from that day, where those, right from those early days, those refugees arrived, and then became, became a whole range of what we called mercy ministries across the city that began. The crisis center ministries, one, two, five project, uh, the whole thing with uh, um, network counseling, all of them began as part of that vision of how could this city be a place of refuge. It took 15 years for the local authority eventually, and eventually agreed by the cabinet, and so Bristol became known as, as a big plaque in City Hall, Bristol, city of, city of sanctuary, city of refuge. Just those children, they're stirring, but their persistence in prayer. But God had put something in their hearts. When God opens the eyes of our heart, so when you do your little A4 folded sheet, don't just think, oh, any old name, anybody think of, God, open the eyes of my heart. Who is it you want to put on my heart at the moment? And even some situation you may have given up on and think that's impossible. You know, that, would take, that would take the prime minister or I, I know the UN to change their mind. God's able to do that. What does it mean to break through in prayer? Just that situation of seeing breakthrough from where we first saw that newsreel and thought, oh, there's nothing we can do. So often we produce that kind of armchair Christianity that sits back and we make the excuse, well, it's impossible. It's nothing we There's nothing impossible with the Lord. That kind of breaking through in prayer. I've seen some breakthroughs for some of you here in prayer. Seem an impossible situation, and yet breakthrough. God longs to bring that breakthrough. The third of our scriptures is not just that compassion in prayer, but also what I would call passion in prayer. These need to go together. That compassion for the needy linked closely with a passion for the lost. And how do we see that working together? And the amazing thing, even over recent years, I think there's been a greater sense of God stirring in the church, a compassion for the needy. Whether it's been care for refugees, even currently some of the work going on, we're receiving refugees now. Or whether it's food bank, or whether it's cap debt advice, or whether it's many other ways in which one is involved in those kind of reaching out to physical and practical needs. 
that compassion. How do we also see that linked with a passion for the lost? That's seeing people not only fed and sheltered, but also coming to faith in Jesus. Here's Paul's prayer. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire. Again, that exercise of heart. And prayer to God is for the Israelites that they might be saved. So one of the significant things and one of the things across the region that we've been encouraging increasingly is how do we, how do we bring these two things together? A compassion for the needy with a passion for the lost. Let me just illustrate. And this is a real kind of practical one where uh, this is at Southmead again. So Southmead Community Church there. And um, they've run each year for the last few years what's called a single parents fair. There's one of the highest level of single parenthood in Southmead of the estates around Bristol, etc. And really tremendous need. So we run this single parents for us. It's a Saturday morning. It's an amazing event. So 175 single parents, the last one, queuing up outside, waiting with their toddlers, rampaging along the road, etc. And then in they come. It's, a, it's one of these kind of special mornings. It's free. Folk can't believe it's free. You know, literally everything from pampering. You get your nails done like you not in any nail bar around the high street. You get your nails done. You get your hair done. There's a donkey ride out in the field for the children there's a, an area twice the size of this hall with racked out with second-hand clothes all free you can take what you can do there's cupcakes there's, there's special bags you take away with you as goodies etc and there's even for a single parent who's never had it family photos we've got three professional photographers who are there all morning taking these photographs of, of the single parents mums or dads with their little ones uh, and, and they take these little family photographs of them now these are not just your instant ones you pull out of the back of the camera these are real professional ones so it takes about a week to get them um, uh, as it uh, were what you call it um, developed um, so they don't take those away with them but what we do is because we meet as church in that same community hall, it's called the Greenway Center, it used to be Greenway School, etc. We set up tables at the back, just like you got here, and you'd be more open, right the way back, and just like you got here, they'd be coffee tables. And this is where folk come on a Sunday morning to pick up their photos. But the service is going on in church as well. They sit in and have a little feel. So this is now um, two weeks after the single parents fair. I'm speaking, I'm only speaking usually about um, every six weeks or so at community church. And so this is me that Sunday morning and uh, already there'd been a real buzz because the, the single parents fair had been an amazing event with so many families and that had been touched by it. It was on the local news, the local councillors, you know, really stood about it. This is the kind of thing we need to be doing in our communities, etc. And as I'm speaking, there were one or two visitors there. There was a lady towards the back, just like the lady sat at the back there, sat towards the back. And after service, I, I go up and say hi to this lady and said, hi there, my name is Rob. And her name, um, I'll call her, uh, what shall I call her? Natalie, okay? Um, but uh, Natalie, and uh, I said, your first time here? She's my first time here. She said, well, not quite my first time, she said. I came to the single parents fair, she said, week before last. And then last week, I came to pick up my photos. She said, and I, I said, are you, are you a regular church? Girl? No, she said, she said, I was brought up church. I was brought up a Catholic. She said, really strict Catholic. She said, I went to a Catholic school. I hated it. I hated everything about church. I decided when I was just a young girl, I would never, as soon as I was old enough, I would never, ever go to church again. I told my mum it. And as soon as I was old enough, I said to my mum, we came to agreement on it. And I stopped going to church. I've never, ever been to church since. She said, even the thought of going to church, she said, I, I, I just hated it. She said, but when I came last week and picked up my pictures, my photos, of the, she said, there was a church service going on here, she said. And I sat at the back and she said, this was church like I'd never ever seen church, she said. And even though I thought inside I'd never ever go to church, she said, all this week, she said, when I was doing the ironing, I thought to myself, I think I want to go to church, she said. And when I was picking the children up from school, I, 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 I saw somebody from the parents, I thought, oh, I'd like to go to church. And every day I thought I'd like to go to church. And I came today, she said 
to the full service. She sat in the back, she said. And she said, when I heard you speak today, she said, I want, I want to do what you were talking about. I said, what's that? She said, I want to follow Jesus, like you were saying. I said, you know, it's a big step to take. By now, this is the end of the service, so the children were all, and her children were all arriving back. There were children climbing over every chair, and there was mayhem. But thankfully, somebody looked after her children and took them off the side, as it were. And so we just sat on a chair at the back like that. And I said, you, you really do want to follow Jesus? She said, I'd love to, she said. But I've got so many things in my life that are so messed up, she said. I said, that's Jesus in the, is in the business of clearing up and, and forgiving and giving a new start. She said, but how do I do it? So I, I pulled out of my... My pocket of why Jesus, and uh, I said, well, let me just go through with you. And so I went through with it, step by step, what it means. What it means to be willing to admit to God that we failed and that she was more than willing. She said, there's so many things in my life I've messed up on. I said, but then to realize that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he made it possible for us to be forgiven, set free, knew a new start. And as long as we're willing to turn from all that we know to be wrong, and to receive Jesus into our life. And I explained to us step by step, going through the booklet. In the back of it is a simple prayer. I said, when you go home today, there's a prayer in the back of this you might like to pray. Just a simple prayer asking Jesus to forgive you to come into your life. He said, can I pray it now? I said, well, it's a big step, I said. And particularly if it's come so completely new to you, you may want to go and think of it. No, she said, I, I know it's a big step, but I want to pray it now. I said, this is for the rest of your life. She said, that's what I want. And so sat at the back with Natalie. We prayed together. And that morning, something radically changed in her. If you think you've got a messed up life, let me tell you, it would be nothing compared with hers. Absolutely, you know, horrendous. But you know, ever since that day, every week, she's now baptized, bringing a neighbor along, but something changed in her. What is it out of a ministry of compassion to see that passion for the lost, so that it goes together with it. How we're seeing these as bridges that help to open up people's lives to be able to share that good news. And how do we, how do we find that link between compassion and passion for the lost? Prayer is a key to that. God's stirring in our hearts a passion for the lost. My heart's desire. That would be the thing to ask today when you fill in your little sheet. My heart's desire is my prayer to God that Israel might be saved. Who is it? Who is it today, more than anyone else, that you know who's not yet a Christian, you'd long to become a Christian? What would it mean for that heart's desire to become your prayer? Part of your little A4 sheet. Next time you're having your tired and sat there reading, praying. Let me go on quickly to this next one because there's so much here I want to share about prompting in prayer. Some of the things I've said up to now about perseverance in prayer, you know, might seem like hard going, you know, every day, 24 years praying for your neighbor. Is it like that, Rob? Is it just, you know, how do you go in for the long haul, the marathon race? No, it's also in prayer, how am I responsive to those momentary promptings? Literally now, today, a situation where God prompts you in prayer. Now, my wife, Pam, is always like this. Every day, she's been happy with Pam. She's got that contagious effect. So some, this is last year now, she was um, um, in the place, it's a cafe place, Boston's in the name, Boston. That's the one, Boston Tea Party. I haven't been there myself, and my wife spends her life there, I think, meeting people for coffee and, and praying with them. But, so she's in the Boston Tea Party. It's one of those days where it was a sunny day to start with, but you, know, you get those showers and suddenly pouring down with rain. So she sat in this Boston Tea Party, and she'd just been praying with somebody and sharing with them, and they'd just gone, and she's left at a table now. She's about to go. And there's a fella 
on the opposite table, somewhere away from her. He gets up from this table, looking at his watch, desperate as if he's late, and he gets out to the door. He only had shirt sleeves and shorts on because he'd obviously come out in the sun, and suddenly it absolutely tips down with rain. And so he stops short on the doorstep, and he's going to go, he's not going to go, because it then keeps pouring down every time he's going to go. Another downpour comes, and he says, and Pam is sat, she's never met this person, don't know of a madam. And as she sat there, she felt a prompting. A prompting. That's where the Holy Spirit stirs something in. It's just like, you know, the Bible is full of it, even sometimes in the middle of a desert where uh, God says to Philip, go, 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 go join up to that chariot over there. You think, oh, what, me? I don't even know. So she felt a prompting. God's saying to her, give him your umbrella. Now, you wouldn't normally have an umbrella on that, but Pam's got one of those little folding ones in her handbag. So she gets this folding handbag out of her handbag and she thinks, I don't know him. You know, how can I say to a strange fellow, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to, but anything you want to go to when she gets up. You know, sometimes we struggle, is it me or is it God? Is it God's prompting? So he gets up and gets over to the door. And again, it's just tipped down with rain. And so she says to this fellow, look, take my umbrella, she says to this fellow. He says, but I don't know you, he says. He said, but I know that, she says, but you just take it if you want to. And he said, but I don't know if I'll see you again to give you it back. Don't worry, you can keep it. Anyway, he looks at her with such surprise and puts the umbrella up and dashes off. Now, you thought I was going to say there and then Pam leads him to the Lord, but he doesn't. You know? <laughs> off he goes. But the waiter in Boston Tea Party had seen all this. He'd been looking out the window of the rain and he'd served this fellow over there and served Pam over there. So he, he says to Pam, he says, he says, did you know that fella? No, never met him before. Well, why'd you give me your umbrella? Do you really want to know? <laughs> Yeah, he said. Well, she said, as I sat there, I felt God say to me, give him your umbrella. Oh, he says, did God say a lot of things to you like that? She said, yeah, most days. Really, he said? How does that happen? And so here with this waiter, Pam has an amazing opportunity just to share Jesus with him and share what it means in our life to have those promptings of God's spirit. What is it in prayer, not just for those things with our list when we're praying in the morning, but throughout our day, just like the fellow getting his tire over here. Or is it those promptings where at that moment, just God at that particular moment is prompting us to share, to pray with somebody. I must hasten. This last one is insight in prayer. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Sometimes our challenge in praying is to know what to pray, how to pray. Sometimes we're faced with really challenging situations. I suppose many times, many, many, many times, situations in prayer where somebody I've never met before, but they come for prayer. And, you know, it can be really challenging situations. I don't want just to give some glib answer. I don't want to just give some naff kind of way. I want to sense the Holy Spirit giving insight in those situations. Sometimes I feel that so stirred. Others, I may miss it. But So just um, last year, I say this sensitively, but uh, so I, I was speaking in a meeting like this might have been, and afterwards, as well be today, there'll be a chance for prayer here today. Prayer ministry will happen. We have a little corner over there. I just want to give a chance for as many as possible today just to sense God stirring us about prayer, what it means to no breakthrough in our lives in prayer. And so at the end of this service, uh, I haven't been speaking about prayer, I've been speaking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I just invited people to come for prayer, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure I, had, I did. I had my little kind of cruise of oil with me. And uh, I said, look, I'll just anoint you with oil as I anoint just a symbol of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the, that was the offer, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Do you pray for that? So a number of people came and lined up for prayer. In the middle of this line was a couple. And as I came to them, this couple, they were sobbing, crying, crying. And the, the, the woman was heavily pregnant, heavily pregnant. And I said, how can I pray for you? And uh, she said, we would love for you to pray for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But also, she said, for 16 years, we have prayed, longed to have a child, and we could never have a child. She said, but this year I became pregnant. And we were so delighted, so excited, she said, but I know now the baby's not moved in my womb for so long that I know the baby's died, she said, but I can't go to the doctor. I can't go. I, I just couldn't face them saying to me, it'll be a stillbirth. I've prayed with many people, many, many people who've gone through stillbirth, some full-term birth and losing a child. And I wanted to be really careful as I prayed with this couple, not to raise false expectations. What do you pray? Oh, God, give me a depth of insight. And as I stood with them, I immediately felt God gave me a picture from the Bible, from the Scripture about being filled with the Holy Spirit. What relevance is that to pregnancy? Well, listen to this story. Many of you know it by heart. I said, I'm going to tell you a story, I said, from the Bible. You may know it well, or you may have never heard it before. But it's a story of a woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who became pregnant and was so excited about the news that she was going to birth to the Savior of the world. But she had a relative up in up country in a village, and so she, she couldn't wait to get to this village. And she got to the village, and as she gets to the village, her, her relative's name was Elizabeth. And when she gets it, Elizabeth is heavily pregnant. And Mary tells her the good news, and it says this, that as Mary tells the news, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as she was filled with the Holy Spirit, it says the baby leapt in her womb. And I said, I don't want to presume on what God may do in these moments, but I know as I pray for you, I want to pray for God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. As I take some of this oil and anoint you, I'm going to pray, God, now, fill this, your child, with your Holy Spirit. And I know that when God fills you with his Holy Spirit, it's amazing what God can do in that. As I reached out and just took some of this oil, literally just touched her forehead as I prayed. No sooner as I prayed for God to fill her with the Spirit than her whole body leapt. And she looked with such amazement. She said, the baby is leaping inside of me. She said, the baby is leaping inside of me. In that moment, God had fulfilled just that picture which we prayed for. I wish it would happen every time just like that. And I can't presume how it would, but I know in that moment it was an insight it was a prophetic picture that God gave. And as one prayed into that, God released that purpose in that woman's life. Some months later, I went to the same church to pray and to share with them. And here was this lovely couple with their little baby. And it had been a miraculous birth. For her, the amazing thing was not the excitement of the baby's birth, but the sense of a God who answers prayer. Against all the odds. A God who brings breakthrough. So here today... I want to encourage you in prayer. Very practically, I want to encourage you with your A4 sheet just to not stop praying. But also to pray with that openness of heart for God, that compassion of heart. Who's God putting on your heart? That passion for the lost. That sense of an openness of a, a daily rhythm of life whereby wherever we are, whatever we're doing, sat in a cafe, God may be stirring us in prayer, that prompting in prayer. But as we pray to sense that insight,
that God-given insight. So here today, we want that to happen. I want to pray for you now. I want you all to stand together as we pray and get the worship group out. Let's stand together. And uh, in these moments, um, whatever the situation in your life, maybe it's a challenge in your own life or someone close to you, someone dear to you, someone near to you, where there's just a stalemate, a blockage, a situation you may even feel it's too late, Rob. It's never too late with God. I want to pray for God to stir that kind of faith in prayer for breakthrough. And even here, as we pray, to sense that breaking through, like that widow Jesus spoke of, who, who just persisted until it broke through. What does that mean? Let's pray. If this morning you long to find more,